Hello everyone and welcome to this Triangles Meditation Group webinar. Today is October 24th, 2022. We are so glad to have all of you joining us here again today for this very special event. Before we, begin, before we get started, let us take a moment to link up with the group and to sound together the noontime recollection. We know, O oh Lord of life and love about the need. Touch our hearts anew with love that we too may love and give. Once again, welcome everybody to the Triangles Meditation Group webinar. The purpose of this webinar is twofold. We meet here, first of all, to introduce new members to the work of triangles and to aid them in the forming of triangles. I'm sure many people here have, in fact, formed their first triangle on this webinar. And we invite all of you who are joining us here today, if it is your first, um, first time attending or if you're new to the work of triangles, welcome. Um, you can let us know by typing in the chat box and if you're interested in learning more, would like to request some more information, we can send that to you. And if you are interested in forming your first triangle, uh, also let us know in the chat box and we can see if two other people are interested in forming one. We meet here also today to um, for all those who are also members of Triangles to come together each week and to participate in a meditative visualization in the support of its work. Triangles is a simple visualization technique which uses the power of thought and prayer to uplift and transform consciousness. This work of Triangles is simply the establishing of a line of light of loving and lighted communication between three people who agree to vivify that triangular link every day. These three people link together as a triangle of light mentally, spiritually, and in a spirit of goodwill to all humanity. This triangle is then visualized within a planetary network of triangles and as that network is visualized, the great invocation, a world prayer, is sounded to release and circulate spiritual energies throughout the planetary etheric network and into the consciousness of humanity. This work of triangles need only take a few minutes each day, and it can therefore be fit into even the busiest of schedules. Members do not have to link up at the same time, and they do not have to be in the same location. Today we will be um, having our webinar on the theme, Humanity and the New Culture. We have our very own Barbara Valacour here as a guest speaker today to present on the topic. Barbara is a lifelong musician, She's also a longtime student of the Arcane School and a former professional opera singer. Barbara will be pulling on um, many of her own experiences with, uh, from her career as a professional opera singer, her work as a musician, um, and also her, just her life experiences, and I'm sure also influenced by the study of the Ageless Wisdom as well. So, before we proceed, let us join together in a short visualization, which will be followed by the sounding of the mantram on your screen.
Visualize the planet as a sphere of lighted energy. And visualize within that, within that sphere a triangle. This is the triangle of the three primary planetary centers. Shambhala, the planetary head center. The spiritual hierarchy, the planetary heart. And humanity, the planetary throat center. Visualize the circulation of energies flowing in all directions around the triangle from point to point, merging and blending the three points and filling the triangle with light. Now superimposed upon that triangle, visualize a five-pointed star. This is the star of the world teacher, linking east and west, past and future, radiating the energy of love wisdom. At each point of the star, the sphere of his activity stands an outpost of his consciousness, the five planetary centers. Visualize the energies radiating forth from the center and through the five points of the planetary star. London. Darjeeling. New York. Geneva. Tokyo. Visualize the outpouring energies enlivening small groups gathering everywhere, aiding them to focus and direct the energies into the consciousness of all humanity. Sound together the mantram. Radiance, we are and power. We stand together with our hands stretched out, linking the heavens and the earth, the inner world of meaning and the subtle world of glamour. We reach into the light 
and bring it down to meet the need. We reach into the silent place and bring from thence the gift of understanding. Thus with the light we work and turn the darkness into day. Humanity is today at a decisive point in its evolutionary history. The creative powers of the human intellect have reached a high point of development, while other faculties of virtue, goodwill, and right relationship lag behind, but are waxing ever stronger. Evidence of this can be seen in the rise in popularity of social and ideological movements. Imperfect though they are, they strive towards righteousness and human betterment as each of them see it and work squarely within the realm of thought and ideas, but without the wisdom and vision to see their relationship to the whole. We are entering an era characterized that will be characterized by a reorganization of the psychological life of humanity. This organization will be based upon unity rather than separation and cooperation rather than zero sum games. Esotericism refers to this great expansion of consciousness as the first initiation. It will mean the opening of humanity's spiritual eye and aspiration to the world of higher values. Once it occurs, it cannot be undone. Today, the question of morals, righteousness, and values looms ever important within the public intellectual sphere. The intense contention between the various ways of thought reveals both a focusing of human aspiration and at the same time, the utter failure of the concrete mind alone to guide humanity upon its way. What is needed is a higher type of vision, one that will only come when humanity's higher faculties are awakened. The faculties of the lower, purely intellectual mind function under the law of economy and produce knowledge through separation and classification. The higher mind, though, sees all things in their wholeness. It perceives the meaning and the purpose of human living, our relationship to each other, and to all kingdoms in nature. The first and truest evidence of this higher faculty is the voice of the conscience, that inner guide which innately knows the right. This voice speaks loudest in the silence and when the illusions, delusions, and glamours, the vices and imperfections of the human condition are quieted. One's attention can then be focused inwards and upwards in a very natural communion with the soul, who is the master in the heart. The soul knows itself to be one with all souls and is group conscious. Through the soul, one comes to know the kingdom of souls, that 
great band of brothers who have risen above the purely human consciousness and have learned, to some degree, to enter into the mind and heart of God and to bring that quality forth in the beauty, purity, and creative power of their lives. These men and women bridge the human and the superhuman worlds. They are highly sensitive, and both mind and heart are allied towards the goal. They are able to see in both worlds at once and thereby bridge between them. Becoming this bridge, this lighted path, in time leads to the manifestation of artistic and intellectual genius and of true wisdom. By this lighted bridge, the meaning and purpose of human living are revealed and a new paradigm can be born, one of beauty, heart, and intellect that respects where we are and leads us towards the higher principles enshrined in every major spiritual and religious movement. Humanity is destined to become the planetary light bearer. And what is needed to guide humanity upon this path are steadily shining points of light that can demonstrate the fact of relationship and a clear perception of all issues, thereby illuminating the way. Through these many points of light scattered around the world, a new culture can and will be brought about. This culture will be a true approximation of heart and mind, and be based upon a right relationship between all parts for the good of the whole. It will evidence a wisdom which comes from keen discernment, a right proportion of values, and the ability to submerge one's own pet ideology into the vast field of ideas, thereby better approximating truth. This, of course, requires a careful watchfulness, the cultivation of detachment, and the practice of a goodwill that others know one, that rises above all markers of separation and affirms the unity of all life. These steadily shining and advancing points of light, which will usher in this new culture, constitute one united group in consciousness, and collectively they are the new group of world servers. Triangles is a service activity of this group, and it precipitates light and goodwill into human consciousness. Triangles reminds us that that which we are striving to become and to manifest already exists within, within the higher realms of consciousness and within each of us. It is our task to bring forth what is already there through the magical power of the soul, which is expressed through the mind, which necessitates the employment of the will and uses as its directing agency the heart, guiding us on the straight and narrow way. And now, our meditation. We link together in thought as souls, as points of love and light, united with all people throughout the world who are working in this Triangles Meditation Group.
we establish a rapier-like identification with Shambhala, where the will of God is known, and sound the mantram. In the center of the will of God I stand. Naught shall deflect my will from his. I implement that will by love. I turn towards the field of service. I, the triangle divine, work out that will within the square and serve my fellow men. Using the creative imagination, link with two other points of light and create a triangle of light. Visualize the triangle in which you are working as an essential part of the Radiant Worldwide Triangles Network. Hold the consciousness immersed within the light of the group soul, the heart of love, which underlies and infuses the network. Now lift your consciousness to the world teacher who stands as the heart of love at the center of the spiritual hierarchy and also at the heart of each triangle. Precipitation. Visualize the whole planet alight with triangles. Excuse me.
So we hold the group mind open and receptive to this inpouring energy of the heart of love. As we hold this group mind open, we visualize light and goodwill circulating around the triangles from point to point and flowing out through the network into the hearts and minds of people everywhere, healing and transforming human consciousness and establishing right human relationships. We sound together the mantra of unification. The sons of men are one, and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight. Let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail. Let all people love. Visualize the whole planet alight with triangles. See new triangles being formed everywhere. Sound the invocation, the great invocation, silently or aloud. <clears throat> and as you repeat each stanza, visualize the triangles network acting as a link between the world of spiritual realities and humanity, as a channel through which light, love, and divine purpose flow into human consciousness. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one 
return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Thank you, everyone. So I'd like to invite Barbara Valacor now to unmute her mic. Barbara, are you there? Yes, I'm here, Michael. Hi, Barbara. Take it away. Hi. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to do this. And uh, I also appreciated your remarks just now, especially in terms of the future culture that we need to start building and, and looking for. Um, my background and training is in classical music with a focus on the voice. So when thinking about this theme of culture and human flourishing, my first impulse is to reflect on the role that music, especially vocal music, can play in the birth of a new and evolving culture. All human beings are endowed with the faculty of creative intelligence, whether they are aware of it or not. Creativity isn't limited to artistic talent or training to any one art form or another, but is a basic and inner sensitivity to the beautiful and the true, expressed in as many ways as there are people. Throughout my early career as a classical singer, I would often reflect on the interface between music and culture in the classical music repertoire in its new developments, as well as the great masterpieces of the past. Music and culture go hand in hand and are reflective of one another. Music has always been tied to the cultures of the time. They are part of one another. This makes sense if we think that sound, rhythm, and the ideas, thoughts, and principles carried on the wings of sound play a powerful role in the overall note and resonance of a culture. Great music stirs the soul. It can evoke every kind of emotion and bring the listener to a heightened state of awareness, lifting and inspiring, calming and agitating, transporting one to another realm while stimulating the brain cells to be more alert, more alive. Music has always been with us in one form or another, and people have always used their voice in song to mourn, to praise, in love, and in anger. Who hasn't been in a concert and felt the power that flows through the music, through your body and mind, into and around the feeling nature? As the audience takes it all in, the music's vibrations radiate out through the environment. On these sounds and rhythms, ideas, and sometimes spiritual laws and principles affect and interpenetrate forms. It might be useful now to look at some examples from the opera repertoire that particularly struck me as being indicative of 
the interface between music and culture. I'll first talk about Mozart, who most everybody must know about. He was alive in uh, 1756 to 1791. And at that time, opera was a fairly new uh, form, but he advanced its complexity and sophistication to express the social conditioning of the day while making it more accessible to ordinary people. Uh, for example, um, composers of that time were hired by the nobility and by royalty to, and they, that's the only people who could afford to pay them to commission works or the church. Um, and of course, if royalty commissions you to write a, an opera, you're not going to, you're going to have the, the nobility be the heroes of the story. That was the, the growing, that was the, the zeitgeist of the time. But in the marriage of Figaro, for example, Mozart made the common people to be the heroes and the nobility to be the buffoons. And somehow because of his popularity and the way that he wrote The Marriage of Figaro with its beautiful, beautiful music, he, he got away with it. Um, but he, he, it, was, it was probably pretty risky for him to do that, but then that was done. So that created a precedent. He also was a master mason in this last seven years of his life. Uh, and he wrote, uh, as many of us know, the magic flute, which is really um, an initiation ritual in the form of a singspiel, which is a type of singing with dialogue. And it was made to be done to the popular people, to the, to the common people. Um, it has, it's loaded with uh, Masonic symbolism such as the, the lodge of masters and the master at the center and the evil queen representing materialism. And, um, and he, 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 there's, a, a, there's a, a great ritual of the journey through fires of tests of, by fire and water and a huge amount of symbolism in the music itself. And the magic flute is done to this day all the time. Everywhere in Europe, it's performed regularly. People go around and um, see them, see different productions of the magic flute. It's still alive today. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna move to the 19th century now with the opera composer, uh, Giuseppe Verdi. And now Giuseppe Verdi wrote many operas which were commentaries on the political situation of the day which at that time was the unification of the Italian states into a single country. They had been dominated by France, by the Austro-Hungarian empire. And there was a growing sentiment in the country in, in the 50s, 1850s and 40s really to unite the country. Uh, but it was dangerous to, to speak out about that because of the, the ruling powers of the time. So, um, Verdi's opera, Verdi was very sympathetic to the, it's called the Risorgimento movement, the resurgence movement to unify. And his operas were very clearly in sympathy with this, this movement. He, his music would arouse people so deeply. If you've ever heard a Verdi opera, there's these scenes that are just so tense and full of thick harmonic character, eight parts, the chorus and the soloists. So people would be really, really stimulated at the end and they would go out on the street and march and say, Viva Verdi, Viva Verdi. Well, that's wonderful. And it sounds like, oh, wonderful. We love Verdi, we love this opera, et cetera. But Verdi, the, 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 the person they were trying to install as king of Italy was Vittorio Emmanuel. So if you think about the letters of Verdi's name, V-E-R-D-I, it's actually an, an acronym for the chant, Vittorio Emmanuel, Re d'Italia. <laughs> and so they could march through the streets with a very um, revolutionary attitude and, and chant and demand without it really being overtly known because it would have been very dangerous for people to do that. So his, his operas were very influential of, of the people of the time and they're still performed very much to this day. Um, moving forward again into the 
period of World War II, which is a little bit more of a painful period, the, the music, the power of music to sustain and nourish the soul was truly, truly there with the experience of the Jews in the Holocaust who were imprisoned at the Teretzin concentration camp in Czechoslovakia. There were many uh, artists, philosophers, writers, and composers who were sent there. And it was actually held up to the allied powers as an arts camp, uh, <laughs> rather than what it really was. So the musicians were allowed to compose. They were allowed to practice their music. And it's said to this day that they felt very, very clearly, and they wrote this, that music was life. And it literally saved their life. So at one point um, at Teretzin, the Nazis uh, suggested that they sing the Verdi Requiem for the people who were there and the, the SS, et cetera, et cetera. They had one score that they could practice with one part at a time in a little room. But in those days, everybody knew the piece. So um, they were able to do it. Excuse me, I have to have a drink of water here. Um, and one of their um, motivations really to do this in the, in the Verdi's Requiem, very early on, the Requiem is a mass text, is a, a text called the Dies Irae, which is the day of judgment. And the music in this section is, for me, really frightening. It's just frightening. So what it said that the, the Jews wanted to sing this piece into the eyes of the SS, the day of judgment. And if you get a chance to hear the Verdi Requiem, remember this because it's when you think of the music, how frightening it really is. And they, they stood there and they did it. And it was, wow, it just, that, that is so amazing to me. One more little example. I really hope we can have a great discussion about all of this. That's my favorite thing to do. Uh, we were able to do the uh, historic uh, opera called Nixon in China in Los Angeles Opera. And um, this was an opera based on uh, Richard Nixon's trip to China to meet Mao Zedong in 1972, which was very, very controversial and, and very groundbreaking in a certain kind of way. So this opera was written originally, it was first performed in 1987 with the Houston Grand Opera, which has a direct relationship with the Los Angeles Opera. And we did it in 1990. And what happened was that um, the Los Angeles Unified School District created a history program on Nixon's visit to China. And the opera takes a lot of its visual scenes from photographs that came back from the trip, especially Nixon coming out of the airplane and putting both arms up in the air and the peace signs, very famous photograph. So the culmination of this history course for the Los Angeles high schools was a trip to the opera, to see the opera at the end of their course. And we had to do the opera at 11 o'clock in the morning and we're all thinking, oh, they're gonna be restless. It's gonna be noisy. It's gonna be, they won't like it, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, we, that was the big surprise because these kids were riveted. They didn't move a muscle as they took all this opera in. And the music of John Adams is, is very sort of minimalistic kind of, like Philip Glass a little bit, but um, it's a little bit difficult for some people to, to, to listen to, uh, but it's, it's very compelling. And so it's thinking of the experience of these young people to be there for a performance, especially for them, uh, was, was really inspiring. And, and I can't imagine that they weren't affected by it. So I, I don't, I have a few other examples I can talk about. But I'd really, really like to talk to see what's on the chat and if people, see if people have questions or want to have some kind of discussion about the whole issue of music and culture and how we go forward and how do we see it? How do we see the new culture emerging through, through newer music? So that's, that's kind of it for me right now, Michael. <laughs> Thanks so much, Barbara. That was a great presentation. I was... Great. I mean, we had already talked about this, but it was great to hear again about the, um, generally about the, the, you know, 
everything that's communicated through music, yes. you know, we think of music as nowadays, we often think of it as a form of entertainment. And of course, I'm sure it's always been a form of entertainment to some degree, but, um, you know, it's also a means of, of communication and the means of transmitting beauty into this world as well, which I think is, is really, you know, significant. It's only through the, through those higher, higher parts of our nature that real beauty can come into being at all. And imagine these great artistic geniuses like Mozart and, and Verdi, you know, what they were able to bring forth is really, uh, you wonder if we can even fully appreciate it, you know? Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, you know, in, when Schubert was alive, for example, and he only lived to be 31 years old, which is kind of unbelievable for the amount of music that he wrote. And he was just a little bit after Mozart, uh, he wrote so, uh, 600 songs. He's very, very famous for his songs. And when he wrote these pieces, it was the first time that the piano was actually equal partners with the singer. Um, but these were popular songs of the day. Mm -hmm. So people, uh, everybody played music of some kind. Every household pretty much had a piano of some kind. And so you could imagine people in their homes in the evening playing these songs they were the popular music they were the top 10 hits mm -hmm. <laughs> and and it really brought people together and the, the whole thing of chamber music being done in, in smaller spaces not in big concert halls in, in chambers and in, in rooms um, music was very part of just very very integrated into the fabric of the culture of the time and as it is now i mean if you look at rap music it's so different. It's not really my style, <laughs> but um, it, it really is, is really, really there. And it's important for the group of people that really appreciate it and, and, it, and what it can do. So it's just, it's really such an interesting topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just seems, you know, whatever, seems each, there's music particular to each culture, but perhaps some music transcends those those particular cultures, for instance, or culture today is so different from, you know, the 1700s. And yet we, this music is still, still performed, as you said. And, um, but each, I think, but music always, it speaks to that, that group and it sort of, it elevates, I think, you know, this sort of elevates it all into this sort of, um, I don't know, a more, uh, you're, a more meaning, a more meaningful expression of that, which people probably can't always put their, quite put their finger on or express for themselves. Right. Um, the, well, the other thing is that is really um, wonderful example of group cooperation is singing in a chorus with an orchestra. Um, you all have to do the same thing, but but singing it with a large group of people is is an experience that a lot of people have because there are very, there are choruses and regional local choirs and choruses everywhere. Um, and singing in a group, it really gives you a sense of what's, <clears throat> what's possible as a, in a group setting when the group is aligned with a particular purpose and, and focus uh, and magical things happen, really they do. It's, I, and the other thing I wanted to say in this webinar is that, you know, I've come across, I used to teach also, and I, I've come across people throughout the years who say, oh, my teacher when I was in fifth grade told me I couldn't sing on tune, so I should just mouth the words and blah, blah, blah. And that wounds people so deeply. People coming and saying, I was told this and it just like, I can't sing. Everybody can sing. If you can speak, you can sing. It's the same throat. <laughs> but we have in, in our culture here, there's this reticence of, of, of some people to actually open their mouth and sing or, or to be loud. I mean, it's, um, I, I think that's something that people who are training as teachers in the music should really be careful of what they say to young people. I mean, who cares if you're in fifth grade and you can't sing on tune? I mean, it doesn't. <laughs> you know. Absolutely, yeah. Well, it's about, you know, culture, of course, goes beyond just art, you know, and it's fundamentally about education, I think, and about the way we, the way we come to think about ourselves and our life as a society and about sort of what our purpose is. And 
and why why we're here and so you know music education has to sort of reflect that goal in my opinion as well yeah. so yeah yeah well speaking of that there's a, a wonderful example of um in in india there's a, a school called the gandhi ashram school and it's run by jesuits and we i've met these people over many years and what they do is they take the poorest children of the area in a place called Kalimpong, which is near Darjeeling. And they, they, they bring them to the school and they all have to learn a stringed instrument like the violin or cello or viola. And they've become quite known uh, for this orchestra. They've traveled to Europe and been hosted all over the place. And the, the poorest of the poor in the area uh, who, who, are, who can go there. And that to me is, is a real attempt at uh, bridging cultures to bring, because they, they play classical music and popular music also. Um, but it's, it's just wonderful to see these kids so motivated with their instruments, um, where they never would have had that opportunity had it been for the great service of uh, this one particular person who founded the school. So uh, there's so many things going on everywhere. People must have, everybody must have examples of mm -hmm. things that they know of in their community that, that, that brings music into one's life. Yeah. I see a hand raised here, Kit, Kit Turin. Um, yes, hello. Hi. Uh, hi there. I, well, I had um, an observation I would be interested in, um, Barbara's thought about it and anyone else out there in the chat. But also first I wanted to say, because Barbara brought this up, I am definitely one of those children who beginning in early elementary school and throughout Ooh. my education was told, do not sing, just lip sync. So, but I'm what so we, sorry. I know. <laughs> so um, what I wanted to ask about was a big change has been the fact that now everyone has access to making and putting music out. And it doesn't have to go through so many gatekeepers or what most more recently gatekeepers would be late, you know, the labels or music companies or um, DJs on radio stations. But now people can just put music out there and the styles and forms can really change and I agree that rap music is it's almost um, lit uh, it's just a real expression of of uh, life in many ways so I was wondering what you thought about that change uh, Barbara dear as far as just the just that now it's so open I think it's wonderful yeah I mean I, I think it always has been open in a way um, but it's more visible now. Uh, but I, I'd say bring it on, the more the better. And when I see you, we're going to have a, a little singing session. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I think it's really good. I mean, it's probably not all that great, some of it, but that right. doesn't matter because if people are expressing themselves uh, and it's coming from inside and it's coming from their soul, if you will, um, how, that's, that's wonderful. I think that's what I've, I have thought too. Um, although it's interesting, I often hear that um, uh, uh, the importance of really a focus on classical music. Uh, well, yes, um, there is um, a big movement now and classical music has always been very white and male. And it was years and years ago, it was very hard for females to get into orchestras. And now uh, there's a, a very strong push to have more black and brown people be sitting, sitting in the orchestra and more visible. Uh, and this, this is, it's been this barrier that's there of the inherent racism of the culture and it's starting to break down, which, which I think is fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm looking at the, was that, was that, did I answer you, Kid, or was there more that you wanted to, to bring up? Mm, okay, I think, I think I she think already put her hand down. Yeah, I think it's good. There's a comment here, actually, Barbara, if I could read it, or maybe you mm -hmm. want to read it from Swan Barrett. 
Okay. Probably be. I'll probably just read it because it's in the middle of this. There's so many. Okay. Um, she says, there is a story of creation that the soul initially did not want to enter the body of clay that God had formed. But then the wind blew through the body and created some beautiful sounds. And then the soul decided to enter the body in order to experience the creation of sound. She says, this always reminds me of the beauty of singing and singing together, especially. Oh, yes. That was lovely. Well, you know, the human, the physical form is a resonating chamber. And so classical singers are trained to use the whole thing. So what's happening is you're, you're actually your face, your spine, your head becomes a, a, a chamber through which the sound passes. The human voice is kind of like um, a combination between a wind instrument and a stringed instrument because it's the air passing across the vocal cords which makes them vibrate at a certain pitch. And the higher the pitch, the further back on the thinner part of the cord that they go to, et cetera, et cetera. So it's actually the human body is a resonating chamber. Uh, the big Wagnerian singers have big wide cheekbones and a certain facial structure. And it doesn't have to do with uh, the fat lady singing because we none of us in the LA opera chorus were fat people. <laughs> and so I would sing sometimes in places if it was a solo and people would say, but you're so loud, but you're so little. <laughs> And it really has nothing to do with that. So I think that the, the human body has a lot of um, things to reveal to us that we haven't really quite got yet, but that is definitely one of them is, is the, the, the instrument-like the instrument nature of the human voice. There's a, another message in the chat by Mary Louise Barros Niska, who she mm -hmm. recommends a book um, by Cyril Scott called Music, Its Secret Influence Throughout the Ages. Have you heard of this book, Barbara? I think I have. I don't know that I've read it though. Okay, mm -hmm. she talks about um, how music influence and helps to ground esoteric principles. I've heard right. of Cyril Scott and I know he comes highly recommended. So if anybody is um, interested, that book may be relevant to our conversation today. Yes, and there's also another chat from, in the chat, uh, Kathy Wooten uh, about the um, um, Dudamel, the LA Philharmonic. He was there after I left. Um, infiltration and influence of music to children and youngsters growing up and onward into life. That's so, so important. Because once you, once, I, I believe once young people understand what they can do through playing an instrument, uh, it never really leaves you. And it's when you are teaching children, it's kind of a triangular relationship between the teacher, the student and the parents, because the kids are always gonna be like, I don't wanna practice. <laughs> but if they do practice and they see how they're getting better and things are maturing, they're more motivated to keep going and to practice. And, um, Mark Weinstein talks about the flash mob dance movement, but I've seen videos of flash mobs doing music or singing um, the Hallelujah Chorus. And I, I would love to do that. <laughs> I think that would be so much fun uh, to just show up and, and, um, and sing in a place where people don't expect it or at a time when they don't expect it because they stop and listen and they're just transfixed. Mm -hmm. Oh, here's six six versions of DS Ires from. Oh, okay. Well, then everybody can see that I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I know it is. I, I I am familiar with that music, and like you say, it is frightening. Actually, it's as if you have you are facing you're face to face with the day of judgment itself. You know. Yes. 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 And I mean the, the piece itself. The whole piece is not frightening at all, but the way that. The, the music and the texts have been married in, in that case. It's, it's just phenomenal. And that goes for all of the great oratorio mass texts. Another wonderful piece is the Brahms Requiem, which is not a, a Latin Requiem text per se, they call it the German Requiem. 
but the the music and the text is is just sublime. Mm-hmm. And the other example I come to is Beethoven's Ode to Joy, which uh, in the Ninth Symphony, which is is played all over the world. And thinking of this is a call to brotherhood. The whole Ode to Joy is a call for brotherhood, for universal brotherhood. And what's interesting about it is that the orchestra is going on and on and on and it's creating some kind of tension. And all of a sudden the bass stands up and just does this note saying, oh, brothers. And it's just, it's so, it just stops you. You can't, you can't not be riveted. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's everywhere. I always appreciate when artists take on the uh, the quality of joy, you know, embodying that. Because I think it's actually sometimes harder than many of the other human emotions that are a little more, I guess, dramatic in a way, or somehow they're a little easier to ex- ex- somehow it's a little easier to express despair or sadness or other things in in music or in art. But it's just joy, I guess. Sometimes people think, oh, it's too it's too happy and un- uninteresting or something. But <laughs> true true joy is is you know such an exuberant and important part of the human experience, and I really respect when. That's yes. done well, yeah. Well, when you, if you go to a performance of Madame, Madame Butterfly by Puccini, uh, you can always hear people sniffing and coughing and blowing their nose in the, when she commits harikari. And it's, it's mm-hmm. so, the music is, is so, brings you there so much. And, yeah. but people are always, somebody said, oh, just get ready, get your handkerchief out. <laughs> yeah. It's true. And people are afraid to sort of openly weep but um, so you hear a lot of, <coughs> you know, like that. <laughs> in, in the yeah. Uh, we're almost out of time, but we have a hand here from Steve Nation. So uh, there we go, Steve. If you're going to mute yourself now. Thank you, Michael. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Thank you, um, Barbara. Thank you, Michael. Oh, that's, it's really lovely. The thought. I just wanted to add very quickly the note, sort of like just a, an affirmation of appreciation for the role that the um, particular Christian churches, and I imagine this applies out to, well, it certainly applies to Judaism, um, and I'm sure to other religions, in the regular performance of sacred music, regardless of, who, whoever, of how many people are there. So all around the world, sort of cathedrals and major churches and temples, and I imagine mosques, give attention to the role that music plays in the radiation of the sound of music and high quality music. I always think that that's one of the greatest things that churches and religion contribute to to societies. And the other thought is just to recognize the importance now of world music. So that um, increasingly the relationship between different cultures is being experienced through music and appreciation um, of non-Western music by within Western cultures. And that must be really important in the whole sort of cultural development of things. Mm. Thank you, Doug. Thank you very much. Thank you, Steve. Um, well, Barbara, I think it's, I think we're about at a close of our meeting. It's about five after. Is there any closing, anything in closing you'd like to say? Well, just thank you for this opportunity. Excuse me. <coughs> I've got something in my throat. <laughs> oh. Oh, it's been wonderful to talk about this. Um, and I just encourage everybody to, you know, join a choir. You don't have to be religious or wanting to go to church, but sing somewhere. Mm-hmm. Find a, a chorus. It's, it's really fun. Sing rounds with people. That's really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but music is an is a innate part of our bodies, I think, and our makeup. There's, because of the way that it's, it's put together, especially high classical music, um, I guess that makes me sort of an elitist. I don't know. It, it, it's the, the harmonies, the, the actual music itself, it does something to your body. And also the other, one last thing I wanted to say, I, I believe that there's diva participation greatly in music, even in one piano piece by Mozart, for example, but in a great opera, um, there's diva essences all over the place. And 
when you participate in it or observe it, you're, you're helping the lives of these divas who are helping us so much. So um, thank you so much for inviting me to do this. I had lots of fun. Thank you, Barbara. It was wonderful to hear your presentation and to have a little conversation. So we look forward to having you back soon. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Um, in closing, I'd like to just briefly announce the upcoming um, World Goodwill Seminar to take place this Saturday, October 29th. Um, three seminars will be held in Geneva, London, and New York. More information can be found at www.lucistrust.org backslash seminar. And I've just put the link in the chat there for everybody. You can find the times for all three, um, all three portions of the seminar there, as well as a link to register and to the programs for each seminar. Each, each of the seminars has some really great speakers lined up. The topic is um, in search of a new culture, perspectives on human flourishing. So very much in alignment with our topic here today. And we invite all of you to join us. It's a free seminar and um, all of you are welcome to attend. It will include not only talks, but time for visualization, discussion, and of course, meditation as well. Um, one other announcement is that in lieu of the, because of the seminar, the World Goodwill Meditation Group webinar, usually scheduled for the last Wednesday of every month, will be canceled this week. We will instead just encourage everyone to attend the, the seminar on Saturday. So let us close now just with a moment of silence. Link up with the group and visualize the network. Thank you.